listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Joining me right now is Nicholas Oliver. And Nicholas was with the East Providence Board of Canvases. And he posted something very interesting on Facebook yesterday. And he joins us now. Uh, good morning, Nicholas. Good morning, John. Nice to be with you. How is it 24 hours coming up on after you posted your resignation from East Providence and the Board of Canvases? It's been a surprising reaction. Um, I, I wasn't anticipating such a reaction, um, but it has been predominantly positive and that it achieved the goal that I was seeking to educate voters on the recent actions of the General Assembly to weaken our election laws and provide them with an opportunity to react and respond by contacting their general assembly members that voted to take away the integrity of our state and local elections you uh wrote uh basically while you've enjoyed the work it'd be impossible for me to proceed with voting to certify any further election talk about that yeah that, that's accurate the General Assembly um, voted, and I think that this, the bill's name is, is a misnomer. Uh, it's called the Let Rhode Island Vote Act, and then there was a subsequent bill that added insult to injury. And, and what it did is that, and I believe, that it legalizes a concept called ballot harvesting, yep. where fraudulent ballots are cast on behalf of someone. And we've heard these stories before. Former President Trump brought this issue to light in his first election in 2016. Um, and now I believe this is a reality if it hadn't been already in Rhode Island um, under this new law, whereas um, people had um, their ballots cast without their knowledge, free will or accord. Um, folks that had since um, passed away seemed to have voted in an election that they were not physically capable of doing. Or in the case of populations that I have spent my entire career advocating for when their voice hasn't been heard up at the state house, you know, those that are in long-term care facilities or those vulnerable homebound um, patients um, that receive services um, uh, through home care agencies that may have their ballots cast without any verification to say that they had uh, voted for the people that are marked on their ballot. The verification process is convoluted. Um, it has no assurities that it's apolitical and doesn't allow for daylight for you know those that are ensuring that we have strong and safe and secure elections will be able to see that those ballots are being verified accurately uh, and that that was cast under, again, the free will and accord of that respective voter. You know, it's interesting. And again, folks, so speaking with Nick Oliver, the first thing that needs to be established, and I certainly appreciate your candor, but those that are trying to implement uh, these new, very loose uh, voting restrictions, the first thing they have to acknowledge, they almost act like, gee, why would anyone want to influence an election gee why would anyone want to find a way to put in extra votes listen they, you know they, these are people these are campaigns there's a lot vested someone's going to win someone's going to lose it, it to me it's almost like you know gee would someone really want to break into a bank and run? like they, they they act like there's no value and therefore there'd be no incentive to try to skirt the laws but 
Let's talk about how you write, how with these recent uh, changes, the votes will remain under the board of canvassers to certify it. And it's basically, it's really take a lot of onus off. I don't know how someone in your position would in fact be able to tell if a ballot many times because of that, um, it, it comes under like, does someone really exist the way that, you know, so much now could either be done online or just done by mail. It, it calls into question. It's, it's far different than the traditional past nick oliver of you know you show up on election day they call your name out and then you know you have to go in and and used to be draw the curtain but then vote this eliminates all of that absolutely it does and it's under the pretense of well it worked in the last election during the height of the COVID 19 public health emergency and that couldn't be further from the truth if voters are motivated to go out and vote in the polls to make sure that their ballot is cast, they will do such. In the 20 days prior leading up to November 2020 election, we had people come out in droves to City Hall to come out and vote. I think the greatest example of that was the Saturday before the election day, we had our city hall open for four hours on that Saturday morning, and we had over 900 voters standing in line. Wow. They were not socially distant. They were not masked until they were required to do such walking into the building. And in that short period of time, with the limited physical capacity that we had in the atrium of city hall, as I said, over 900 East Providence voters came out to vote. So the only people that this is supposedly supporting are those that are incentivized to ballot harvest. I mean, I've heard other terms used, and I, I won't take claim to those that aren't mine, but this is essentially an incumbent insurance policy. Those that are organized with specific special interests that have the purpose of ensuring that there are enough ballots stuffed in the ballot box can now do such with this convoluted verification process that really isn't verification. It's done in the back halls of the State Board of Elections where you don't know whether that's going to be a bipartisan process. There's nothing prescribed in the bill that provides that insurance that it's done such. And it doesn't show that those ballots are being verified in the light of day with oversight of those that have the interest of making sure that we have an election with integrity that is safe, fair, and secure. Folks, again, we'll speak with Nicholas Oliver, who very bravely resigned from the East Board, East Providence Board of Canvases. And Nicholas, let's talk about, if you don't mind, those drop boxes. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm very leery of them. It started out there were just a couple. I think they were at the Board of Elections. Now there's one in every city and town. Um, because of a recent film, some people have a little more knowledge about it. But even then, I'll hear people say, well, they need a camera on them and someone should monitor it. What they don't even realize, in certain states, there's a limit of how many ballots could be dropped in one of those uh, ballot boxes. In Rhode Island, they, here's what people don't understand. There's there's no limit. So but if you are with the board of canvases and then someone goes and they open up the drop box, uh, number one, to me, the whole reason it serves is not for the resident, the regular citizen who maybe wants to 
you know, drop a, a mail ballot in the mail. To me, it really just serves the campaigns. Number one, obviously, they save on postage. But number two, if there is a fraudulent ballot, that eliminates the potential charge of of mail fraud. But when you open that up and there are 2,000 ba uh, ballots stuffed in there, as you say, then it's just the, the matter of sorting them out. You know, take us through that. I would imagine then you, okay, here's the ballot and here's the name. And that's the person, and you check the role. Okay, that person does live on this street. So, like, take us through that. I just, again, I think these drop boxes are, I think they're a way to skirt fear accurate elections. I couldn't agree more, and I think that that is part of a bigger issue. Early voting or mail ballot voting should be rare. It should be only as an option for those that are truly not going to be at the polling place on election day. For those that are homebound um, and that have a disability that does not allow for them to be able to travel to a polling place, that makes sense. For someone who travels on business and will not be in state um, that day, that makes sense. For somebody who you know, would be working throughout all 14 hours of the polling place location open. Okay, I assume that that's rare, but um, but then that should be an option for them. But um, otherwise, you should be able to get out to the polling place in person. Um, this early voting, I understand the convenience, but boy, don't we learn so much more about candidates in the latter end of October that yes. could sway yep. voters in one direction or another. I hear so many times, particularly in this last election in 2020, about voter remorse. Yep. Um, we had a very um, controversial issue um, here in East Providence with a um, golf course that was closed and that was purchased by a developer. And that led to an incumbent losing his election because of his professional involvement with the Metacomic golf course transaction. What that resulted in was a candidate winning that primary, and there wasn't a um, Republican challenger in that race to my memory. So that person who won the Democratic primary won the election and is currently serving as the state senator, but doesn't necessarily match the ideology of the district and, quite frankly, hasn't been motivated to have conversations with their constituents. Right. And now that person knows that they would lose that election. And for whatever reason, a freshman senator is now running for lieutenant governor. Um, you know, these are the type of issues that, you know, lead to folks not being the best representatives for their constituents. Um, and and it, it comes to that sort of process where it provides that advantage. As far as specifically about the ballot boxes, um, we had accusations of them being stuffed and mishandled in our last election. Um, and, and those were investigated and, and nothing came of them. But it did raise some questions about potential fraud risk that remain unresolved. In East Providence, there is a camera that looks at the one ballot box that is against the wall outside of the, the city hall, but who has the feed? 
it's the mayor that's running for re-election. Mm. The canvassing office doesn't have access to that feed. And I would dare one step further. I think it should be a live feed for any constituent to go log in and watch that box wow. anytime that they want to. I like we that. We have the technology already. I mean, there are folks who probably have... or. Um, uh, those that listen to your broadcast yep. that watch shows like on CBS's Big Brother, where you can go and log in and watch people meandering around a small house for 90 days. If the people are interested in watching that, I bet you there are people that are interested in watching the integrity of the election, and everyone should have access to that feed to watch that box before, during, and after an election is closed. Folks, again, we're speaking with Nicholas Oliver. And uh, Nicholas, what I also find interesting is, so now you're East Providence. Um, a place like Providence is a little more transient. So it's one thing, you know, maybe there are certain people, um, election day can almost be social for some of the poll workers. They see a lot of the people from the same neighborhoods they know. Providence, it's different because it's it's very transient, and uh, and therefore there's there's a lot more people to be unknown so if someone sees a name and an address they have no idea who it is but i'm just curious that one of the sponsors of the legislation happens to be from east providence what type of communication did she have to gather facts gathering um for the from the board of canvases of east providence there was no communication with any election official in the city uh, and the bill sponsor which is disappointing you know you have uh, an incumbent who understands elections from a candidate perspective, but has no experience, and in this case here, um, no interest in how elections are operated, the amount of resources that requires a safe and fair and secure election, um, and drafted a bill that ultimately was successful and, and, and passed um, without having interaction with those that run elections. And that's that's disappointing to me. Um, I will let others um, decide how they feel about that, particularly those that are in her district, whether or not she best represents them and best represents their votes that are cast. Um, and uh, I'll just leave that at that. But I, I find that to be disappointing. You know, I think that if you're going to write a bill, regardless of the issue, um, as a conscientious elected official that you would want to bring stakeholders in to make sure that you have a bill that is prepared for quote-unquote legislative review um, that has the best interests of constituents and all stakeholders involved. Nicholas Oliver, folks, we're speaking to him. And, and also, in the past, I believe the provision was that if there was a notary uh, that notarized more than 50 ballots, that that would trigger at least an investigation. And you and I have talked about it, and I really highlight, this opened my eyes, and it was the 2017 special election Senate district race in Newport. One uh, campaign worker, one, collected 230 ballots, notarized them all, by the way. They made her a notary. But, Nick, what, <clears throat> what also stands out to me is in that case, if you have the notary, and it's a close election, at least then you could go to the notary and say, now listen, you know, you notarized... This ballot for, you know, John Smith that lives on, you know, Main Street and so forth w without the notary, um, you know, a campaign worker goes out and has a bunch of votes and puts them in the drop box. Uh, now it falls on 
I, you know, who knows if anyone could track down the person that supposedly cast the vote. I, I just think it you you just close a window, if you will, or a door of trying to verify uh, a vote that was allegedly cast. You're correct. There's no longer that oversight provision. Um, you had professional um, uh, electioneers that were going out to elder high rises, some of the very same vulnerable populations that I talked about earlier, that were going to organize for one candidate um, that they were working for. And so they were notarizing these ballots or that they would have two people from the campaign go out and um, sign with the two-person signature verification, um, and that you'd see the same two people that were verifying multiple ballots. You know, it, again, it all goes back to that, um, you know, our previous part of our conversation about how mail ballots should be rare. Um, and it shouldn't be used as an exercise for convenience factor or for incumbent security. It should only be for those that truly need it because they're homebound or they will be out of state on the day of the election or some other emergent need um, that otherwise would not allow them to be at the polling locations. But you're right. Um, this exposes to a greater risk of fraud. You mentioned um, the Oyer election. I mean, I go back and think about the Steve Frias and um, Mattiello, Nick Mattiello 2016. Race, uh, yep. Right. Where, you know, they were only a matter of a handful of votes different. And the, and uh, Mattiello said at the time, well, I'm not worried about it. He didn't break a sweat because he knew that in his back pocket, he had a couple of hundred mail ballots that he knew were votes for him um, in the slimmest election that otherwise was blown out of the water because of organized mail ballots. Um, that should raise a red flag to voters, and that should raise a red flag to any elected official that claims to want to make sure that we have integrity in our elections. One last note, and again, folks, is Nicholas Oliver, who I'm going to call on from time to time. I'm Nick, I think, number one, I deem you an expert. Number two, now that you've resigned, I really appreciate your input, insight into uh, how this is going to go going forward. Something that I also just think should raise a red flag, and it's a national story that Rhode Island double-counted people in the recent census. And as a result of that, we were able to retain a congressional seat, but we got flagged for they said, you know, we didn't actually gain population. They now think that we lost 10,000 people. But what I think should raise red flags is this isn't some small project. It was the highest levels of our government in Rhode Island that were involved with the census, that was that was the governor. That was Dr. Nicole, Ramundo, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott. They had a budget of one point five million. Uh, common Common Cause signed off on that. Uh, you know, when we talk about eroding public trust and confidence, when you have the the lead officials in the state telling our federal government, "Oh no, this is all on the up and up," and then after they do a verification, they find out, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, you guys double counted some people." I, that that's another thing that Oliver it, it's as if our elected officials don't even realize they're completely losing public trust in what should be uh the more that you nip away and nip away at this they're, they're just losing public trust 
in how our government works, especially our elections? Well, look at all the organizations that were involved and what political slant that they may have. Yep. Um, I would even call out AARP yes. as part of that group. Well, um, today's my birthday, but I'm not quite 50 yet. Hmm. But I will tell you, uh, thanks. I will tell you that, um, you know, that will give me pause when, when I turn 50 as to who I would want to represent me in my elder years. Um but if it was easy to do that in the census and it took a couple of years before that information saw daylight and exposed to um, uh, to citizens in the state, think about how easy it is to manipulate a state election without any federal oversight. That is exactly right. And one last question, Nick, since you have resigned and again, folks, it's Nicholas Oliver. Um, I, let, let's just, you know, the elephant in the room. It's one party. Um, you know, this whole notion that the Democrats, they just really want people engaged in the system and everyone to vote. I, I just I don't buy it. It's tough to ignore. They want a system that includes a lot of ballots, uh, much more than normal, unsecured ballots. It's, um, you know, let, let's just deal with it. Their, their motivation is not to me. We need to get everybody involved in the in the process of voting they they have motives of it's easier for them to influence the outcome of an election is that fair yeah and and if you take a look at who voted i'm really disappointed in those that chose not to represent their constituents and not vote in opposition but instead decided to abstain and not vote you know that those folks had opposition but were afraid to challenge leadership there was bipartisan opposition to this bill. Granted, there is a majority that voted in favor, you know, that one party that were looking for incumbent uh, election security insurance, and, and they were able to achieve that goal. But I'm really disappointed in those that chose not to represent their constituents and not vote on their behalf to make sure that their votes cast will be safe, fair, and secure. And that's really disappointing. And I hope that voters consider that when they go to the polls and make their decision. And I hope however they vote, that their vote is cast appropriately and that their ballot is not manipulated and that there isn't fraudulent votes cast. But at, at this point, reviewing this bill and reviewing the intent and how those debates on the floor of the House and Senate went, I knew that I could not be in a position to certify the aggregate total in my community. And I hope that others listen to what I have to say, take an opportunity to review that bill, take an opportunity to speak to their elected officials and be able to vote in the best interest of securing elections in the future. I think the bill needs to change. Unfortunately for me, my state representative is not running for re-election. He's running for secretary of state, and he voted for this bill, mm. um, which tells me that he voted to make sure that he was able to win an election versus making sure that our elections have integrity moving forward. As a state's election official, that really concerns me moving toward that ballot in November. Um, and I hope others that are across the state listen to my mem my message and it gives them pause when they cast their ballot. Folks, again, he is Nicholas Oliver. Nick, again, uh, first of all, I applaud you for what you did. Uh, you're a, a 
valuable person for them to lose but we will talk to you again and uh just i want to thank you uh for the way you conduct yourself taking the time to talk to us very um thoughtful and and we'll talk to you again thank you nicholas oliver thanks john nice to talk to you thanks for the opportunity all right folks there it is nicholas oliver right here on the john DePietro show and i want to highlight when he talks about the no vote such as rep casey in winsocket no vote Corvasi, North Providence, no vote. Craven, North Kingstown, no vote. Ready? Here's this one. Patricia Morgan, no vote. No vote. Ray Hull, no vote. Uh, Wrangland Vassal, no vote. But uh, And then uh, Tobin of Pawtucket, he had some, uh, that's the guy that was jammed up. But Patricia Morgan, the number of times I've had her on to talk about voting, and then she doesn't even vote on something like this. Wow, that is really something. All right, folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Make it a great day at Ron's Pastry Gourmet, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. It's Ron's Pastry Gourmet. You're listening to the John DePietro Show.